Amen. You may be seated. Welcome. It's good to see y'all students, children. Be nice to your teachers, as always. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the Bibles in front of you. You can find 1 Peter on page 550, excuse me, 954 of the Black Pew Bibles in front of you. Um, and before we look into that, I want to just kind of give you an update on my trip to Romania. I was in Romania this last week. Uh, it was a short trip, but it was a very fruitful trip. And I'd actually had plans to go there to install the elders that we had um, trained over this last year. And um, so I flew into, this is the Cluj airport. Cluj is the second largest city in Romania. It goes back second and third, and there's like three gates at the airport. You don't get on a ramp. You literally come down the stairs. And that's, that's Eastern Europe. But uh, we put in uh, two elders. I'm going to show you the picture. This is, this is Pastor Unica, and then this is Christy and Daniel, who the two elders that we trained up. There's a couple more that are will be installing in the near future. But uh, this next picture shows us praying over the, uh, the, uh, the elder candidates. It was a, it was a sweet service. Uh, a lot of pastors there. I preached on John 15 and the importance of abiding in the vine, especially with what's going on with Ukraine, which I'm going to talk about because everybody is working really hard right now. And one of the things that can, can happen, and we can be guilty of that, is we, we come, become all about doing the work of the ministry, and we miss Jesus Christ in the midst of it. We're not allowing, we're, we're not abiding in the vine so we can produce fruit to glory, the glory of God. And so after this service on Sunday, they had a family meal, like we're having next week. But their family meal was a little different. Now, this is the room downstairs that we had talked about. And, I mean, it's, you can see it's, 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 they set it up really nice. We're not having tablecloths. And, uh, but what they did was the, the family meal wasn't Juan's tacos, but they had this food called salama. And this is a family out in a village that made it. And it's this meat combination of pork and beef with onions and stuff. And then they wrap it in this, um, and I know some of you are thinking, man, I'm ready for lunch. But they wrap it in this cabbage and this is, they put it in these pots. And then wait till you see the oven. Here's the oven that they cooked it in. I mean, this is legit. I mean, this is, this, is, this is not like our ovens that we have here. And so, uh, but that, that's what we did. But let me, the, the real important part of this time there was just to help with the logistics of the Ukrainian refugee relief. And as you can imagine, the logistics are intense right now as they're having so many families. And so let me just kind of, and I will keep this picture up. This is, this is uh, Christy Cristea, one of the elders, and he's on a bus. Now, uh, there's a guy named Stephen Yates that we were involved with. He was a U Ukrainian um, missionary that I've known since 2012 when we planted the church in Moldova, and he was a part of that leadership team. And he's, he's been on the border, Moldova and Ukraine, and they're in this little town in the, in the south of Moldova called Polanka. And they're just become overrun with refugees. And so he, he said, is there any way we can get buses? Because right now there's buses that are coming, but this is where people take advantage. And it just shows the evil. There's, there's, there's traffickers that are taking some of these buses and they're, 
rerouting them and taking them to these warehouses. And, and so it's, it's, it's really insidious. It's, it's terrible. So what we've done is we've worked out a deal with a bus company in Cluj that they will drive. They're, they're, they've provided the buses for free and the two drivers for free because it's 10 hours each way. And, and, and so we've, we're now, and we just have to pay for the gas. The church has to pay for the gas, which is about $1,000 because gas, you think gas is expensive here? It's ridiculous there. It's, it's sometimes two and three times more expensive. So they're going to the border. They're picking up the people and coming back. And so this was the first bus last week. And this is one of the drivers. He's, 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 he's sitting, you know, resting, but he's holding one of the Ukrainian babies just to help the family, which is really, we're really thankful. This week we'll have two buses. They'll come in with 50 people on each bus. If we look at the next picture, this is what we've done with uh, that room, we've, we've added more beds, bunk beds. So again, the funds that we have provided as a church and now some other churches are providing. In fact, let me just say this. Because of the, we're, we're looking at the long-term need because we want to make sure this is sustainable. And so I'm going out to other churches and getting support from other churches because we, listen, we're, we're not a huge church, and, and, and the, and, but we've been extremely generous. And I think between our church and some of the other money we've been able to raise, we've, we've sent almost $50,000 over there. And so, but if you think about it, the monthly cost, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a praise God. But the monthly cost is, you know, if they have two buses, that's 2000 a week plus than the food, gas, heating. And so it's going to be, it's going to be an expensive time. So we're going to continue to go out to other churches and, and ask for their support. This is a Ukrainian mom. This is in one of the children's classrooms. We've set those up with cribs and stuff, putting her baby uh, down to sleep. So, you know, this is, this is a work that, and I encourage these people in the work that they're doing. I thank them for it. Um, but I really encourage them that this is a time where they really need to be pressing into the Lord. But it's a reminder to us that we need to continue to be pressing into the Lord so that what the Lord is doing in us can then overflow out of us and into other people's lives and we produce fruit to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. And thanks for letting me uh, go over there. Thankfully, we were able to do it on miles, but it's, it's, it's a blessing. The people are, are a joy to be around. They're so thankful for the partnership. In fact, um, two other things. I got a, a, a text from Yanika this morning. Um, there's some families that are wanting to stay in Cluj, and so we're turning that downstairs area into a place where we will be doing uh, um, remaining classes because the Ukrainians, they, 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 they leave from there and they go to other countries where nobody speaks Ukrainian or Russian, and that's what they speak. So um, they're going to be doing uh, classes and teaching uh, both um, well, mainly Romanian, but also they're going to create a program for the kids downstairs because, you know, the kids are like, you don't want them just sitting in these rooms, so they're going to be creating all kinds of sports, and uh, they've got a ping pong table, we told them to get a foosball table, and uh, it should be a great opportunity just to really minister to these families. Well, let me pray, and we'll look at God's Word. Father, thank you for the opportunity for us as a church to come alongside and hold up the arms of uh, Biserek uh, uh, Deo Gloria uh, in so many different ways. I thank you for the generosity of our church. But Lord, most importantly, I just pray for these families that are fleeing. I pray that... Uh, um, you would protect them physically, emotionally, spiritually, Lord. I pray for those that don't know Jesus, that they will come to know Jesus. And Lord, I pray just for the, uh, I just thank you for how the church is stepping up to be the church, to do the work of the ministry that you've called all of us to. And so, Lord, uh, we pray that uh, as, a, as a church, we pray that this war would stop. We pray that the bombing would stop, that the 
the shelling would stop. And Lord, uh, whatever you have to do to, uh, uh, to stop this, Lord, we, we, we cry out to you. And so, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the grace that you show us every day and just ask that now you lead us in this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. First Peter chapter 3. When I was 16 years old, my parents got divorced, and it was shocking to me. Now, in retrospect, it shouldn't have been a shock. Their relationship was perfunctory at best. They pretty much just coexisted. It was a relationship of activity and convenience, not one of a deep relationship with each other. Pam's parents, well before I knew her, they had their struggles also. And so when Pam and I met in 1990, we had that baggage, plus we had both gone through divorce ourselves. Now we loved each other. We, wanted, we didn't want to have to go through the pain of what we had gone through again. But we didn't have a model of a great relationship. It was not modeled for us. A great marriage had not been modeled for us. When we got married, it was almost like a merger of our businesses. In fact, that's kind of what drove us in the beginning until Pam says, enough. I want a husband. I don't need a partner. And sometimes, guys, you have to listen to your wife. We did our best to figure out our roles and responsibilities. And we had a lot of ups and downs. Now, some of you are probably saying in your marriage, you've had a lot of lops. You've had a lot of ups and downs, but probably more downs sometimes than ups. Then in 1998, we moved to Dallas and we got invited to church and we heard the gospel, I think, for the first time. The fact that our sin had separated us from a holy God, and because God is holy, he cannot allow sin into his presence. And so he sent his son Jesus into this world to live a sinless life, to die a sacrificial death on the cross in our place. He was raised on the third day, and by putting our faith and trust in him, we could have eternal life. By turning from our sin, that's called repentance, and turning to Jesus Christ, we could have eternal life. And within a couple weeks, Pam and I both got down on our knees we asked Christ to forgive us of our sins, which he did. We asked him to save us, which he did, and to change us, which he did. And Mike Fetchin, the guy that led us to Christ, and I've told this story many times, I mean, he challenged us and he got us into reading the Bible immediately, every day. And we were shocked by all that we read. And then a couple months after becoming believers, somebody gave Pam a book on biblical womanhood. And that shocked her because she realized how far out of God's will she was from what uh, a biblical woman is called to be. Because all we knew is what the culture said. And the culture bombards us all the time with what a couple should look like. Self-actualization, focus on self. And finally, she started changing. And it was weird for me. I've said that before because she just, she, like, she wanted to help me to be my, and, and it was like, she just, like, she wanted to come in and straighten up my desk, which was so weird for me. And, and then one day, she starts pouring into other women, teaching them these principles of biblical womanhood. And finally, she comes to me and she goes, Bill, 
you gotta, you got to get with the men. The women are willing to, to, to submit to the spiritual leadership of their husbands, to, to live in a complimentary way, but the men aren't stepping up. There's a spiritual vacuum, in, a leadership vacuum in the home, and I didn't know what to do. And so I started reading books on, on, on biblical manhood, spiritual leadership, and God really convicted me and started to change me. One of the things that we learned over time God's word has given us all that we need for a great marriage. All the truths are right there. Here's the problem. We don't apply those truths. So one of the reasons why the divorce rate among, quote, Christians is not much different statistically than non-Christians. We have all this information, but we don't take it and apply it. I pray that changes today. I pray that we start taking what God's word says and we start applying it to our lives. The fact is, your Christianity must start at home, which is probably the hardest place to start it. If your Christianity doesn't work at home, it's probably not working. Think about that. This is not arm's length faith. This is faith that has shoe leather. It's walking the walk. The context of our passage today is Christians living in a fallen world where there's all kinds of persecution, and now they're having to submit to unbelievers, government, Employers, wives to unbelieving husbands. And then we see in verse 7, husbands being called to live with their unbelieving wives. We live in a world where our love has been misplaced. The focus is on self versus on God and others. Bill, give me a verse for that. I'd love to. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. Paul, in his last letter, his last pastoral letter, he writes this to Timothy. He says, but understand this, that in the last days, let me ask you, when are the last days? We're living in them, the last days, between the first advent of Christ to the second advent of Christ. We are in the last days. Christ is going to return when? Soon. Any day. He says, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers by, of self. Stop right there. You don't need to know a whole bunch more except for the fact that people will be lovers of self. And then he goes into 18 different manifestations of people that are lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, teachers, uh, treach or, excuse me, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, they look godly but denying the power. Avoid such people. 
they're lovers of self. This right sandwich between lovers of God, lovers of pleasure versus lovers of God. This is what is infecting so many marriages today. So when we come to the passage that we're looking at today, and really we've been looking at the last few weeks, what we can do is we can, we can be like Satan in Genesis chapter 3. Now, I'm not calling you Satan, but we can be like Satan where Satan said, did God really say? By our rejection of God's truths, we are actually asking that question. Did God really say? Ouch. When we get to verse 7 of chapter 3, we get to one of the most abused and misused passages in the Bible. It is less about the issue of, of roles and responsibilities and more about the authority of this book. Are we willing to live under the authority of God and his word? Here's the big idea of the message today. A God-honoring a God-honoring marriage takes living in submission and obedience to the Lord and his word. You want to have a great marriage that glorifies God? Now, some of you aren't married. Joel, I know you're not married. But here's what I would tell you. Take these truths. Because there's going to be a day you might be married. A God-honoring marriage takes living in submission to and obedience to the Lord and his word. And so let me read verse 7. We're going to do one verse today. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So we're going to look at two commands that are really implied commands, a reminder and a result. Two commands, a reminder and a result. Here's the first command. Live with your wife. Live with your wife. Notice what he says. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding that way, in an understanding way. Likewise brings us back to chapter 3, verse 1, which then even takes us back to chapter uh, 2, verse 18, the whole idea of authority. But in 1 through 6, he's been talking about wives who without a word, by, by, their, by their, um, uh, their respectful and pure conduct... Let their adorning be internal, not external, and they can win their husbands over. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. It's the whole idea that an unbelieving man is to win, or an unbelieving wife, a believing wife is to win over her unbelieving husband without a word, with her conduct. Where here a believing woman or an unbelieving woman is to be won over by her husband through his word and his deeds. Now, a husband is to live with his wife in an understanding way. What does that mean? What does it mean to live with your wife in an understanding mean? 
in an, under, in an understanding way. It means to dwell with them, to put up with them. It, it means living in close relationship physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It's living with them biblically in, in both word and deed. How do you do that? By speaking with them, by listening to them, by taking time to deepen your relationship with them. Now, don't raise your hands. How many of you think that's difficult? Somebody raised their hand. You are a brave soul. <laughs> Why is it difficult? Because we're fallen people living in a fallen world. We are fallen people in a fallen world. And it's difficult when we're focused on self, when, when we're, we're more concerned with ourself than considering the needs of others. For men who are self-centered, for men who are self-focused, for men who are prideful, this may seem like an unattainable place to land. But the fact is, we're called, we're commanded to live with our wives in an understanding way. I remember the first time I read this. Lord, you want me to understand my wife? Do you realize that she's a woman? Do you realize how different than she is than she is in me? I mean, I had a twin brother, I had a younger brother, I had an older brother. It's like, I can get guys, but a woman? What I'm called to be, what you're called to be, men, is a lifelong learner of your wife. And it's going to change. It's going to change over time. And it might change in a short period of time. And you adjust. Live with your wives. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. I'm called to be a lifelong student of my wife. I'm to understand her so I can live with her in a way that honors the Lord. I'm to understand, this is important, that she's fearfully and wonderfully made. Listen, your wife is fearfully and wonderfully made. She's perfect in God's eyes. The problem is, is we look at them with fallen eyes. And we want them to be perfect in our ways, not in God's ways. So often I get convicted by that. This is in the present active participle, meaning we are to understand them today and keep on understanding them. It doesn't stop until the day your wife passes away. You are to... You are to understand them, learn to understand them. And this is where dependence upon the Lord, on the Holy Spirit, is so important. It's like, God, help me to understand my wife. Help me to understand her ways. The fact is, we should, we should want to know their needs, their desires, their wishes. So that we could be the spiritual leaders of our families. To be con considered of their spiritual, their emotional, their mental needs. And I'm not to understand her so I can manipulate her. Or humiliate her. Or take advantage of her. Or just use her maybe for my lustful desires. I'm to understand her why. So I can live with her in a way that encourages her, 
delights her, fulfills her, serves her, and loves her. Listen, men, when you love your wife that way, she'll do nothing to cause them to stumble. This is God's design for marriage. It's a picture of Christ and the church. And the fact is, if she messes up, and she will, take responsibility. And you're thinking, why would I want to do that? Because that's what Christ did for you. He took responsibility for your sin. We, as men, are called to love our wives that way. That's why I think it's important to understand marriage is not for boys. It's for men. Men that are willing to step up and take responsibility and live under submission to the Lord. So here's the first command. Live with your wife. Here's the second command. You guys with me? Okay, good. Listen, last two weeks ago was for the women. And the wives are thinking, man, is he just going to get on us? No, it's like their, guy, their time is coming. Second command, honor your wife. Honor your wife. Notice what it says in, in, in verse 7. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, when it says weaker, it doesn't mean inferior. In no way does this mean inferior. And God, men, we know that our wives are not inferior. I mean, if you're like me, you know. The problem is men handle things differently than women. We can be like bulls in a china shop, right? It's like, I mean, we're just like banging at everything. It's, it, it, it's, 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 it's not always pretty. What he's saying here, we're to treat our wives, when he says like a weaker vessel, like a piece of fine china, not like a thermos, you know, that we bang around. I would have dropped it, but I don't want to drop it. You break the seal. But if I did that, with a piece of fine china, what's going to happen to the piece of fine china? How should I treat my wife as the weaker vessel, as a piece of fine china? Which means with care and tenderness. The fact is, this is, a, this is a warning to husbands who might bully their wives or abuse them either physically or verbally. It's antithetical to God, his ways. It's sin and it's an affront to God. And let me just say this, if wives are in an abusive relationship, God's word does not call you to stay in that. In fact, Colossians 3.19 says this, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Don't bow up. You're to honor them. That word honor, it speaks of respect and reverence and esteem. Wives are called to submit to the loving leadership of their husbands. But husbands are never called to misuse that authority and lord it over their wives. They are to honor their wives. This speaks of divine headship. In fact, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, that 
that, that this is this, this word, submission, it's hupatasso, it's to order under. It doesn't mean one is greater than the other, but it, it's, there's order. There's roles and responsibilities. We, we are to come together in a complementarian way. It, it means that God has designed us equally with different roles, with different responsibilities. And when we, when we subvert that, then all of a sudden we become like this. And we start, we start asking, did God really say? We always have to be careful that we're not, one, lording it over. We're considering them more important than ourselves. So when we're making decisions, we want to get as much information from our spouses as possible. We want to defer to them unless it has to do with sin. Listen to what John Piper says about headship. Let me put it on the screen. This is from uh, his book. This momentary marriage. He says, headship is not a right to command and control. It's a responsibility to love like Christ. To lay down your life for your wife in, several, in servant leadership. And submission is not slavish or coerced or cowering. That's not the way Christ wants the church to respond to his leadership. He wants it to be free and willing and glad and refining and strengthening. I love that. It's a great quote. The fact is, as men, we are called to honor our wives. So how do we honor them? Let me give you four ways a biblical husband honors his wife. Four ways. First of all, he loves her. He loves her. That brings us back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and 26. Let me put that up real quick. Husbands... Love your wives. That word love, it's agape. It's unconditional love. So what does unconditional love mean? Without condition. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He condescended for the church. He humbled himself for the church. He suffered for the church. He took on he took on sin for the church. He died for the church. Husbands, how are we to love our wives? In a Christ-like, sacrificial way. That's how we honor our wives. No blame shifting, no running, no complaining. Unconditional love. And unconditional love is not based on how I feel. what I'm called to do. So often, you hear men say, oh, I just fell in love. And when you fall in love, guess what can happen? You can fall out of love. This is not what he's talking about. This is an unconditional love. No matter what she says or does, I'm to love her. First way, a biblical husband honors his wife. He loves her. Secondly, he leads her. He leads her. How? Starts in humility. He leads her in humility. He leads her in forgiveness. Unforgiveness destroys relationships. Unforgiveness 
destroys relationships. Colossians 3.13, as Christ has forgiven us, so you should do, must do. We are called to be forgiving. In fact, when we forgive, it's the most Christ-like thing that we can do. When Jesus was on the cross, he's looking at those that crucified him, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We lead them in humility. We lead them in forgiving. We lead them in worship. We lead them in worship. It's like our time in worship, whether it be corporate or other, it's, it's, not, it's not if we feel like it or not. No, we're, we're going to go worship the Lord. So often it just becomes, ah, you know, I think we'll go today, today or I don't think we'll go today. Men should be leading in that. They should be leading in small group. They should be leading in disciplining their kids and in Bible study. They should be leading in, in budgeting. One of the reasons why we have Financial Peace University is because we want people to understand what God's word says about our resources and use them properly. We want them to lead in giving. You know, Pam shouldn't have to say, you know, Bill, aren't we going to give? And we sat down at our, and, and developed our budget at the beginning of each year, and we always know that the first check we're going to write it's going to be for the work of the Lord because all we're doing is giving back what the Lord has given us. Never an argument in our house about that. We should lead in giving and walking in holiness. As Christ leads the church, so a husband is to lead his wife. Men, we should be able to say to our wives, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, I wrote that down, and, I'm, I, and as I'm writing it down, I'm thinking, how often have I fallen in that? And listen, none of us will do this perfectly. And that's where grace comes in. But that's where we need to ask for forgiveness. I, I look at some of these things that I've just talked about, and I have fallen way short many times. But the fact is, if I'm following Christ, my desire is to become less and less like my old self and more and more like Christ. fact is, some men may need to ask forgiveness and say, you know, from now on, I want our home to be a Joshua 24, 15 home, which can sometimes be just kind of one of those throwaway verses, you know, as for me and my house, we'll, we will serve the Lord. Listen, that should be and is one of the great leadership verses in the Bible. Where Joshua stands up, he says, listen, we don't care what anybody else does. We don't care what the culture says. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is who we are. This is where we stand. Biblical husband honors his wife by loving her, leading her. Third, protecting her. He protects her. Now, when you hear this, you think quickly think physical protection, right? And certainly that's important, but also protects spiritually. There's certain things that maybe we should not be watching that are contrary to what God's word says. Protect them emotionally. Protect against what we watch or what we read. You know, Pam shouldn't have to come to me and say, Bill, what are you watching? Now, that, that's, okay, if you're, like, we actually... 
record football games now because we do our best to stay away from the ads because the ads are terrible. And we do that to try to at least protect ourselves from that. But also, it should be physically. Like, if I hear noises in the house, I shouldn't say, honey, it's your turn. You know where the shotgun is. I'm going in the closet, and I'm going to play video games on my phone. Let me know when it's clear. Men, we should take a bullet for our wives. Protect them. He loves her. He leads her. He protects her. He provides for her. He provides for her. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The fact is we're called to provide. And we're to provide, again, not just financially, but emotionally, physically, and spiritually. We're to provide words of encouragement, words of affirmation. Man, when was the last time you affirmed your wife? encouraged her. And wives, provision may not be a 10,000-foot house up on the hill in Paradise Valley. It may be a home, clothes, and food. You, know, you travel overseas, and you get a lot of perspective very fast. That's why it's important to have a budget. Be on the same page with each other. Have a plan. At the beginning of each year, Pam and I, we put together a plan for the coming year. Save. Have insurance. Have a will. Full disclosure. No secrets. Not this is my account, this is your account. Like we're living two different, two different ways. Listen, a one flesh relationship means... One account. See, that's just wrought for all kinds of self. And men should work hard. Men should work hard. 40 to 50 hours a week, plus small groups and whatever else you're doing. A biblical husband knows how to make his wife feel honored because he seeks to understand her. And honor her by loving her, leading her, protecting her, providing her for her. So those are the two commands. Now, a reminder. Peter gives us some reminder. Your wife is a joint heir. Your wife is a joint heir. Look again what he says. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you, or the textual note says, joint heirs with you of the grace of life. You and your wife are equal in God's eyes. This means that even though a wife is to lovingly submit to her husband's leadership, the husband is never to lord it over her, never to manipulate her, never to yell at her or puff his chest or push her or hit her or threaten her. Never manipulate with words like, I will leave you or I'll divorce you. As joint heirs of the grace of life, we are one flesh relationship. Equal in God's eyes with different responsibilities, different roles, equal in value. That's why we call it complementarianism. We are a complementary church. 
equal, with different roles and responsibilities. So the reminder, you are a joint heir with your spouse in the grace of life. And then that leads to a result. If you live all this out, the result is your prayer life will be unhindered. Your prayer life will be unhindered. Notice what he says. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Listen, men, you want to make sure that your prayers don't hit the ceiling. You want to make sure your your prayers don't reach God's ears? Hear these truths, but don't live them out. Reject them. Failure to live as a godly husband has spiritual consequences. What are they? Your prayers will be hindered. It makes it very clear here. That word hindered, it means to impede, to render fruitless, to stop someone. It's a, it's a military term for digging a trench to stop the advancing army. It's like they get stopped. They're not going anyway, anywhere. The fact is, you may be praying for your business to grow, or you may be praying for a loved one or for protection. But guess what? If you don't live with your wife in an understanding way, if you don't honor her, if you don't treat her as a joint heir uh, to the grace of life, your prayers are good as stopped. That's a, that's a, that's a word from the Lord right there. Psalm 66, 18 says this. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. When I'm not living with my wife in an understanding way, when I'm not honoring her, when I'm not treating her as a joint heir to the grace of life, the Lord doesn't hear. The way you treat your wife has a direct impact on how God treats your prayers and responds to your prayers. That's why the Lord says in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? Don't call me Lord if you're not willing to submit to me as Lord. Now, there's three types of men in this church, and I believe there's three types of men in all churches in light of this. First of all, there are men who live this out as best as they can. They're not perfect. And honey, if you, honey, and, and, and ladies, I got one honey in the house. If you're expecting your wife to fulfill this perfectly, then you're setting yourself up for huge disappointment. Yeah, your husband, whatever it is. They knew what I meant. There's my helpmate. Complimentary. The fact is, these are men that are living it out that we'll hear one day, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. You're living this out in word and deed, and I would tell you, press on. Press on. Second, there are men in this room who are believers but aren't living this out. So the first are believers who are living it out, and there's second, there's men 
who are believers but aren't living it out. You've been redeemed, but you've abdicated your role. You're not living and honoring. Uh, you have misplaced priorities. Confess it. Be honest with your wife. Confess it. Repent of it, meaning turn. And, and, and commit to change today. This is, this, listen, by God's grace, this is who I want to be. Then there's a third group of men, and those might be men who have never embraced Christ as the Lord and Savior. They've, they've never turned from their sin. They've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And, and, and even if you were to ask them, if they, they were to die today, do they know for a fact that they would go to heaven? They wouldn't be able to give a right answer because they've never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They've never turned from their sin and turned to Christ. And I would tell you today, be reconciled to God and start on this path of honoring your wife and loving your wife and leading your wife and protecting your wife and providing for your wife. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. A couple weeks ago when we were in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, where we challenged the women. I know that that was, for some women, a difficult message. But this is God's word. God's word is not always easy. And, and that's why I love the fact that we go verse by verse through the Bible, because you can't skip over certain passages. If, if you do, somebody's going to say, wait, 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 wait. What just happened? Why did we skip over that? Well, we don't like that verse. No, we live under the authority of God's word. But I, we, we, we close with a song called Give Me Faith. And we're going to close it with that again. Because there's some men who might need to have their hearts softened. To get right with the Lord. So they can get right with their spouse. And some of you may have... You may be in a situation where your, your relationship is over. This is where you got to just ask God to put you on the right path to live out these truths from this day forward. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Lord, give us faith to trust what you say, to live out your truths in a way that brings honor and glory to you. Lord, forgive us for those of us that have abdicated some of our roles. And Lord, give us the strength and the power through your spirit to live out, to be the kind of men that you call us to be. And Father, I pray for those that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today, in humility, they would confess their sin to you. They would cry out, God, save me a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he was buried, and I believe that he was raised on the third day. Father, work in us. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray.